tell the truth. Mama got depressed Daddy was dying So the doctor gave her something To help her with her crying Then she couldn't sleep So he gave her something else Now there's yellow, red, and pink On her bathroom shelf Says if one won't work Then another one will If you got a little Take a little pill Fella down the road He walks with a limp He's a decorated soldier In a paint pill tent Got a loaded gun And an old pit book A black Cadillac With a whole trunk full Says if one won't work Then another one will Take a little pill, lay it on your tongue And the can be numb Ain't a buzz that you came by Ain't a love you can't make high Till it wears off Like it always will Take a little bit. Welcome back to the second hour. We're going to pick up where we left off uh, during the first hour. Sharing with you this letter that I'd sent to the doctor's office. I guarantee the doctor never saw it. Because it all went to their collection people. Because there was one more issue in this circumstance. Unfortunately, I shared in the letter that I could not locate the date, but your records will indicate it. I had scheduled an appointment with Dr. Evans at the Thomas Road office shortly after the above incidents for a Monday. That would have been my first follow-up visit to finally meet the doctor. It never took place. Late on Friday afternoon, I received a phone call from the doctor's alleged head nurse informing me that due to the fact that you have been diagnosed with COVID, the doctor will not be able to see you until such time that you are tested again, as if the first test was legitimate. Well, after a while, when I still had not contracted COVID, I ventured a call to make an appointment with Dr. Evans Thomas facility again. It was set for November 15th, 2021, or was it September 29th? Maybe it was October 22nd. I couldn't really tell by the invoices that their office had continued to mail me. Either way, several months past the original surgery. And I was assured that I would be meeting directly with the doctor. I showed up that day, paid my copay at 20 bucks. Upon signing in, I was informed that he was there, except that he never could bother to see me. Maybe one physician's assistant, two other nurses came into the room, ran blood tests, heart rates, temperatures, etc. You know, the usual. And say that I was doing quite well. And, oh, thank you for coming in. In simple terms, I explained, not only have I never seen Dr. Evans, I've never even spoken with him. Have you people ever heard the term primum non necessary? Look it up, or it's been forsaken by the medical community. 
So let's get down to business as it relates to the attached invoices. My records indicate I did pay my copay when I appeared for the doctor's no-show appointment, but that sometime later I also received a bill from your office indicated that I still owed the copay of $20 more. I wasn't thinking I subsequently paid it. That being the case, at minimum, your firm owes me 10 bucks. Interesting. Look at the three invoices from your office. Dated 124, 228, and 404. Each one shows two separate lines, dated 1115 and 1222, showing a payment from Jeffrey Bennett, but no entry on the September or December 22nd date. Interesting, given that that date coincides with my records as having been paid. And finally, and this is the funny one, I made two phone calls to your 7th Street office to discuss the balance owed issue and somehow never got through to a live person. But on several occasions, I would receive phone calls from that office after hours between 6 and 7 p.m. when I was not available. Just convenient enough for them to leave a message informing me to pay up. All sounds to me that neither the doctor nor his staff wants to meet with or talk to anyone. In my opinions, it might be just as well. And if you people think that that's questionable, that you think that this letter is about a lousy 10 bucks, then you really don't get it. Oh, and the term primum non nocera, it's from Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine. And it translates to first, do no harm. With all that I've just shared with you, this was the letter that was addressed to the doctor and sent to his office or his collection agency. And I published it on April the 25th of 2022 with the name of the firm, their address, everything. It's simply unbelievable. Um... The song that we just shared with you, Randy Clark, it's quite an interesting song. Take a little pill. There is a new piece currently published on drkelly.net, I believe. Let's take a fast peek. Dealing with ADD. It's entitled, ADD Traits May Have Evolved to Provide Foraging Advantages. People with ADHD-like traits may have an evolutionary advantage when it comes to finding food in the wild. Oh, goody, here comes the bullshit sales stories again. Well, and we're not going to have the time to share this particular piece with you. We've shared it before. If you go to drkelly.net, you can open up the category without apology. Those are articles that I have written or had a somewhat sick, twisted involvement in. And the one particular is an article entitled, but it's all okay. Just take a little pill. It's all based on this constant sales pitch of ADHD. ADHD drug Ritalin, 
affects the brain like cocaine. So why is it being prescribed to children? I was a third-week senior at Glenbrook North High School in 1965. And even then, I knew that something was wrong. And as I progressed from the fifth grade on through the sixth grade and then into middle school at Northbrook Junior High School and subsequently into high school, I found myself beginning to lack in numerous areas of my education. In English, I was an astute reader and still am. The science classes were interesting to me, chiefly due to the exciting talents of one teacher in junior high who smoked a pipe in class, believe it or not. History was always a subject I thoroughly enjoyed, but as time went on, many of the teachers became boring, hence I became bored, more so in high school. In my freshman year, my English teacher was a sister of one of my fellow students. Our class was on the second floor of the school. I was placed in the back seat next to the window in the class pencil sharpener. One specific day, the teacher was giving a lecture, and my fellow student, Nancy Brown, leaned over and asked me, if I would sharpen her pencil for her. Nancy was a friend. I just nodded to her, took the pencil, ground away, at which time the teacher abruptly stopped and said, Jeff, what are you doing? To which I replied, I'm sharpening Nancy's pencil. Why? She responded, to which I answered, because she asked me to. Do you always do what you're asked to do? Yes, I responded. At which point the first-year teacher Sharply asked if I asked you to jump out the window, would you do it? At which point I said yes. The teacher told me to jump, and I did, from the second floor, and walked directly into the office of Assistant Principal George Stanger and told him what had happened. He turned red in shock and anger and walked me back up to the classroom. And while we drew near, we could hear the insanity going on in the class with intense laughter of my fellow students and a teacher who had completely lost control. Hmm. I guarantee the teacher never would challenge a student in that manner again. But the point here is, is that this is the beginning of my total boredom in school. Believe it or not, I became a member of the student council. And get this, I became a broadcaster with two other guys in the in-house studio where we would make announcements between classes and before the morning classes began but mostly on Fridays as we had football or basketball games scheduled for that night. And, oh, yeah, we played music, too. I was also deeply into photography, became a photographer at many events for the school at numerous functions. And one of my still best friends to this day, my friends, Jim Heidman and I had a dark room in his basement. We developed many of our own pictures, including a nominal selection of pictures of the Beatles, which I had taken off of the Ed Sullivan show on February the 9th, 1964. And Jim and I were good. So good, in fact, that we made a set of Beatles pictures by this time. It was my sophomore year at Glenbrook. And we sold many sets of our Beatles pictures to the babes in school. Oh, yeah, man. There's no business like show business. But one of the finest pictures I ever took was of a classmate, Jane Rosine. One of the most beautiful gals I'd ever known. My photo of her was put into the senior yearbook the following year, but I would not be there to see it. Oh, and also in my sophomore year on a Friday, something else took place during lunch. An intense parking area in front of the school offices where Stanger's office was, by the way, and near the cafeteria not far from the locker room for Jim. 
Something unusual was happening. A car was parked in front of those offices where a car was never allowed to be during school. More and more kids were running up to surround the car. First it was quiet, then there was screaming and crying, and then we heard that John Fitzgerald Kennedy had been assassinated. There was no football game that night. And the world darkened that day. I shall never forget, but for the rest of my sophomore year and through my junior year, I continued my involvement of broadcasting and efforts with photography at school. Somehow managed to get by in class. Oh, did I mention I was also a track and field participant along with Heidman? And we were coached by the Eagle. That's Coach Sackett, who was also my driver's ed instructor. A few years later, Heidman and I would connect in Vietnam as we were both there. I've got pictures of the two of us together there. Uh, yeah, there were some good teachers and people at the school, but for the most part, I was becoming more and more bored and aggravated. And then one day, I became aware of something going on in the school. Drugs of a sort. Hey, man, this is back in the 60s, you understand? ADHD drug written affects the brain like cocaine, so why was it being prescribed to children? As most know, in the high schools, there were counselors for the benefit of students whose teachers felt they were in need of special attention. And more and more students were being labeled as being bored or simply out of line with attitude, etc. Maybe they had some family issues. But what I was seeing as, of course, I was bored as hell, other than with the school activities that I had chosen to be involved with, was becoming more and more common. Strangely enough, I don't recall ever having been called before one of the counselors due to my attitude, except in the case of my teacher altercation, which I had covered just moments ago. But I did become aware of the kind of counsel that was being offered to those students who had special needs. Drugs, man. Drugs of a sort. I mean, a spoonful of medicine does make the medicine go down, right? But you see, there were reasons that these type of drugs were given to our students as far back as the 1960s. Back in those days, students were beginning to be labeled for not showing enough interest in what and how education was being conducted. Many students were showing signs of boredom and hence were being labeled as ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Back in the day, schools were being awarded funding of about $450 per month per student to label students as such. And the public school system was then able to hire special counselors to deal with those type of children. Do you believe that these things have changed in America today, my friends? In my case, I became so bored that by the end of the third week of my senior year of high school, I walked out and chose to join the military. Why? Because, yes, I'd become so bored with the early days of the babysitting mentality. It was becoming mind control, and it was no longer a challenge in the form of that many of my mentors had spent so many years teaching us. If you take the opportunity to read this column, which, once again, I mentioned you can find on drkelly.net. It's called Bennett. But it's all okay. Just take a little pill. At the bottom of what I've just shared with you are a series of headlines. And they are links. 
that will allow you to read a wide range of articles dealing with ADHD. Title, over a million children under the age of six are taking psychiatric drugs in America. Number two, ADHD overdiagnosis epidemic is a schooling problem, not a child one. Another headline, 20 million school children have been prescribed psychiatric drugs known to cause suicidal thoughts. Four, pharmaceutical drugs often forced on children. Six, ADHD is a fake disease invented by Big Pharma to drug children for profit. Headline, huge surge in kids poisoned by ADHD pills. Headline, Texas school cures ADHD doing one change. Next headline, son taken from family because parents refused to have him diagnosed with ADHD. And the last headline, and every one of these are links. The man who discovered ADHD made a startling deathbed confession, and we're going to share that basic story with you above. Isn't that shocking? Oh, and here's a very interesting thing. You know, the man who discovered ADHD made a startling deathbed confession. His name was Leon Eisenberg. He was the scientific father of ADHD, and the man lay on his bed in the hospital getting ready to die. And he openly said that ADHD is a prime example of a fictitious disease. Wow. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. It's profound. Those are the words of Eisenberg. Last interview he gave before his death at the age of 87 in 2009. You can go back and read this article as well. It's called The Man Who Discovered ADHD Made a Startling Deathbed Confession. Do you think that Fauci is going to make any deathbed confessions when he finally kicks the bucket? Oh, hell no. You know. Because if it happened, maybe the government would step in and say, give us the money back. Your lawsuits, give us the money back, the taxes that you, you know, thought you paid, etc., etc. My friends, these are the kind of issues that we're dealing with in this country. The medical profession, there are damn good people in it. But we're finding that there's other people that are in it that are not so good. They're deceitful individuals in so many instances. It's appalling. I shared another story that I wrote about the ADHD issue. And I'm not going to do it. We've said enough about it today. But I felt that coming back and sharing this with you would be worth it. Hmm. Trying to find something that just disappeared on me. 
all of this leads us in other directions. All of this is so profound to me to not share. As I mentioned at the outset of this hour tonight, it's not like we've avoided all of this. Everything I'm basically sharing with you now is something that we've shared in the past or we wrote several years ago. I reached the point that I felt it was going to be far more interesting to meld it all together. Because I guess the basic degree of this thing is is that the medical profession as we have known it in years gone by has become an abysmal failure. I see more and more articles popping up about miraculous things that have been discovered that no one ever knew existed in this world today. Oh, got to have new, 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 you know, hands to hold our things. Well, we're checking the temperatures and the weight and to this and to that and the other thing. And it's like, oh, my God, shut up. You know, there, there were times that things, it was so much simpler in this nation. People were listening. People were actively participating. I look at the various doctors I've had throughout my wife, my life. And I had some of those that were marvelous human beings. But now it's just like our politicians. Their pockets are being so lined with other people's money just to peddle their goods. That is shocking to me. I guess I can't say it's shocking. It's just unbelievable. Trying to take a look and see what else we've got here. Um, There was an article we published um, uh, July of 2020 entitled The Greatest Assault on Our Civil Liberties. And it specifically discussed mask mandates. How they had no place in a free society. Some of the other headlines. The bottles, the battles never end. Hmm. Information on that subject. The battle's not ending. Etc., etc. All of this is available through our Without Apology segment. You can open up and read those that I wrote or didn't write or just added some other stuff to. Death or debt, national estimates of financial toxicity in persons with newly diagnosed cancer. Somehow, it seems to be the only cure. Death or debt, national estimates of financial toxicity in persons with newly diagnosed cancer. It all comes back to the same thing. You don't cure cancer. Hmm. 
No, I'm passing out. Um, one other article, I'm just going to give you the headline now, and then I want to move on. August the 9th, 2017. Day after we learned about the death of Glenn Campbell. I did a very intense article called Glenn Campbell himself till the end. I was broadcasting on a now defunct another network at that time, the Microfect, and took control of the microphones and the program for the entire two hours. We had no breaks. I controlled all the music from my office, from my studio. Did this amazing tribute to Glenn Campbell. Hmm. Of course, we all know he died of Alzheimer's, but it was quite a program to listen to. I think somewhere around here I've got a copy of it. Because we challenged, we talked to people about Alzheimer's, who is ultimately responsible. Don't count on your doctor to make you healthy. There's plenty of money in treating there's not enough money in curing. Other articles I've come across in the last couple of weeks wanting to know why it is that all these drugs that we sell in this country are sold for so much less money around the rest of the world. Oh, because we're the rich Americans. We can afford to take care of everybody. Ego tantum. Non modo. I'd find him. We programmed tonight's broadcast with much in mind, much to cover. Maybe a two, primum non necessary. Some weeks before. What I'm about to share with you, my friend Charles Dickens wrote a commentary titled Primum Non Nocere, First Do No Harm. And he re-explained that the title comes from the opening line of the 2,400-year-old oath written by Hippocrates, the pioneer of modern medicine, man who authored over 70 medical books, most notably treating the patient and the malady, not just the disorder. Hippocrates understood that the patient and illness were inextricably linked. But that post was about an encounter with factory medicine as an observer. But in his second column, Charlie wanted to relate a developing saga as the particular as the participant from his point of view. Of course, he calls it a comedy of errors because in 2003 he made the inexcusable error of making my way to the ER. Yes, Maisie, I drove to the hospital. Hmm. Yes, Maisie, I drove to the hospital. I didn't know I had a heart attack. I could still drive, so it couldn't be that serious, right? Well, the experience sounded pretentious and cavalier, but it was a fact, and thus began... 
Charlie's love affair with the industrialized medical, pharmaceutical, and insurance complex and what he now effectively calls factory medicine. Oh, Charles invited his readers today to go back and read or reread Primum Non Lucere for context. Charles said that the time of his writing the past 13 years were not a sweet musical interlude by any stretch of the imagination. There were contrapuntal interruptions and a few major and minor dissonances. It was like Lawrence Welk playing Queen's Rice or Snoop Dogg's greatest hits. <laughs> kind of interesting, isn't it? But Charlie wanted to take this time to resist his urge to launch into a philosophical discussion on the esoteric juxtapositions of good or evil. Maybe next time, he said. But anyone preparing for surgery knows that a checklist of approvals is necessary to obtain pre-approval from all parties involved for the medical insurer. It's an exercise in patience, persistence, and the ability to follow directions to the letter. And any deviation sends you back to the beginning. Oh, yeah, it really does. In Charles' case, he needed notes and approvals from the insurance carrier notification of intent to seek permission for surgical procedure. Approved in-network, the surgeons, the practitioners, and the venues lists. Then it was an orthopedic surgeon, a conversation and documentation to his medical insurance provider to inform them that I would request their permission to have the aforementioned repair and the contact information of all the parties involved to ensure that I am following the prescribed procedure by the numbers. Number three, notifications to all involved that I am seeking permission to proceed and asking for permission to move forward. Of course, an explanation of the proposed procedure to the other practitioners and the insurance provider. Number four, the general practitioner for pre-approval and corroboration that the proposed procedure could provide medical benefit. And finding number five, pre-approval from the cardiologist. You know, requesting permission is required if you even think you want the insurance carrier to pay, even partially, for the service you're requesting. You need their consent to proceed. you got to remember that these are the people you pay thousands of dollars annually to cover and manage your medical costs. Pauline, a line from an ancestor's writing. Please, sir. Oh, boy. It is so difficult to read all this. Not to read it, but to understand the insanity, the up and down and the inside out and what we're experiencing. Of course, now there's more steps which require additional and multiple visits to the orthopedic surgeon for a list of necessary tests and procedures needed to ensure that I'm healthy enough to survive the surgery. The general practitioner requires a physical exam, blood test, x-rays, EKG, C number one, you know, necessary tests and procedures needed to ensure that I'm healthy enough to survive. Uh. Number three, the cardiologist for pre-approval. Need an EKG, nuclear stress test, 
echocardiogram. Orthopedic surgeon will need a CT scan or MRI of the defective part or damaged area, but only if the preliminary approvals from steps one through three are affirmative or a definite maybe in my case, see numbers two, three, and four. And let us not forget the insurance carrier's notice to proceed only if the above is completed and in the prescribed order. You're going to realize that each step necessitates a separate appointment and up to two weeks schedule lag time between to find a convenient time and appropriate the doctor's office and an individual copay for each. And so we approach Catch-22. Unreal. Unbelievable. So, Catch-22. Oh, yeah, yeah, there was a Catch-22. The surgical authorization was only valid for 45 days from the date of the original request to the insurance carrier requesting permission to have the surgery. And Charlie says, oh, did I mention that I work full-time? And these offices operate from 8 to 5, regular business hours, no weekends in most cases, which means that any appointment costs me lost hours, I run my own consulting business. I'm now about four days away from surgery. I've lost count of the number of office visits. I think it's over 12. Of course, during Charlie's latest cardiologist appointment, he discovered that the doctor I worked with for 12 years retired. And so Charlie had a new doctor that he'd never spoken with, never interviewed nor been interviewed by, had never been introduced to this doctor, who walks into the examining room and begins his soliloquy that says, I have some concerns about the results of your nuclear stress test. Your heart function is deficient, in fact, close to the danger zone. As I read these results, it appears that your heart function is below the 30% range, 10 points below the lower end of the moderate zone, which indicates you are at risk. I may allow your surgery, but you are a risk, and I see that you are obese, are diabetic, have coronary heart disease, myocarditis, and a litany of things that I cannot spell. Serious problems, and do you know your BMI is whatever? And then the doctor launches into this can cardiologist weight loss lecture for lower life forms about portion sizes, high-carb diets, exercise, etc., ad nauseum. Charlie was so thoroughly insulted that all he heard was Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. It would carry more weight if the professor wasn't hauling 50 extra pounds himself or his staff didn't resemble waddling technicolor parade floats. Oh, yeah, I hear a variation of this lecture from every new factory metal carpetbagger, medical carpetbagger that he encounters. It's never a conversation. It's a freaking lecture. Why are factory medical practitioners so sanctimonious? I have eyes. You're no Arnold Schwollenpecker. Where do you get off haranguing me? Huh. It's unreal. 
I mean, don't you know my medical background? And from the 10 minutes you spent with my 13-year chart, right before you bless me with your presence, you glean from your now detailed knowledge of my medical history and contributing environmental factors that I deserve a lecture? Really? Now, Charlie spent the remainder of the afternoon and evening processing Dr. Empathy's information dump during his inspirational 10-minute audience. Oh, shit, Charlie said. I think I forgot to genuflect and kiss his ring as, a, as I withdrew. But Charles says the missing component in all of this is compassion. Being treated as a defective unit is not only dehumanizing, but it's demoralizing. I mean, after all, I'm not a 1951 Hoffman. William Shakespeare once said, if you prick me, do I not bleed? If you tickle me, do I not laugh? If you poison me, do I not dry? And if you offend me... Ah. Ego tantum... Non mora finum. Somewhere, my friends, we tend to abandon compassion. We trade it for expedience in the quest for the almighty dollar. Charlie understood being jaded by a chosen profession, having your heart set on being a life-saving cardiologist, only to discover that you are forced to interface with the lower life forms, the owners of the defective part you'll be repair. And after 14 years of education and over 200000 for tuition. It's amazing. Simply amazing. I'm not the means to your end. I'm a person with feelings and significant trepidation about surgery in general. You will take me on the age of oblivion, cut on me, repair me, and then hopefully bring me back. What could possibly go wrong, Charlie is asking. Charles is well-educated, but in an entirely unrelated field. And do we not owe each other some courtesy as professionals and human beings? Dehumanizing me into an object is why I have no trust in the industrialized medical, pharmaceutical, and insurance complex. They remove humanity from the equation to pursue record profits and efficiency. Factory medicine enables and supports this end. Effective communication requires and sender, a receiver, a common language, something I consider each time I launch into an explanation for a practice that I know well. And I try to understand the people in the conversation. Can we create a relational bridge to support our discussion? Explain the operation of the wireless radio to a farmer in China. Better yet, ask the farmer to explain his theory of crop rotation and how it prevents the depletion of soil nutrients. If you speak the same language, there are technical terms and nuances to consider and address. Now superimpose any medical practice onto this model. Charles says that he had enough anecdotal experience from 70 years of medical encounters to understand 60% of the lecture. 
and he could spot sanctimonious condescension in an instant. But Charles is also a whiz at the reading annoyance in someone who doesn't want to be there. And this is the 11th time that Dr. Empathy has given the same leisure to the fat slob across the room, the one who resembles a nervous deer in the headlines of the converging Technicolor parade floats. And that effective unit here is every third or fourth word. They make little sense. It's a foreign language. Why did I ask the Chinese farmer about crop rotations? What was I thinking? Do I truly know enough to take the next step? Do I? Can I trust someone that doesn't care about me as a person to whom I'm only a malfunctioning unit? Should I make this leap of faith? In the end, that's the determining factor, the point of all of this. Why are we subjected to this baffling battle of units per hour? I want to heal, not be castigated. What happened to first do no harm? Is it now really about the throughput and the billing? Are we just defective units with a busted whatchamacallit? Ego tantum non modo ad finem. I am the only I am only the means to an end. Hmm. In the past thirteen years, Charlie said we're not a sweet musical interlude by any stretch of the imagination. There were conceptual I'm sorry, contrapuntal interruptions. A few major and minor dissonances. It was like, as we mentioned in the previous article, Lawrence Welk playing Queen's Reich or Snoop Dogg's greatest hits. Was it interesting? Right? Even after he invited the new doctor to read or reread Primum Non Nocero for context, Charles resists his urge to launch a philosophical discussion on the esoteric juxtapositions of good and evil. But maybe some other time. Anyone preparing for surgery knows a checklist of approvals is necessary to obtain the pre-approval from all parties. All of this is pure insanity. All of this is absolute pure insanity. Are we just effective units with a busted whatchamacallit? Unfortunately, I'm afraid that that is more than likely the case. It's appalling. And I understand exactly what Charles was saying. Because I have spent way too much time these past number of years sitting behind a microphone sitting in front of a computer or a newspaper or a magazine or a book 
trying to figure it out, trying to stay on top of all of this. It's not easy. The stuff going on in the medical community makes me sick. Like an image that I chose to republish on Dr. Kelly today. Which asks, what if I told you that there are multiple cures for cancer, but they're suppressed because cancer is worth $200 billion a year? I came across an interesting article a couple days ago. Ibuprofen's effect on red blood cells, a prickly affair. Interesting piece to read. Pfizer's moral rot on display in cringe Super Bowl ad. How many have watched the Super Bowl? Did you see that ad that Pfizer put on? Expensive is all hell get out. Unbelievable. All of this becomes so appalling. New Jersey school children have been offered cash prizes for pushing big pharma vaccines. COVID reveals the cover-up, how a medical deep state operates. It's appalling. Warning signs of silent heart attack. Most people put down to tiredness. Silent heart attacks can leave your heart permanently damaged. If patients don't know when they've had one, the risk of future heart disease greatly increases. So here's the symptoms to look out for. I know people say to me, well, but but, but you got all these articles and this stuff in here on heart disease and on dietary and this and that and the other thing. I, I just want to get cured from cancer. Another article, monitoring blood pressure at home. Make sure you follow these steps. But there's an interesting, interesting statement. Now, I'll wait on that for a few minutes. Blood pressure. Monitoring blood pressure at home. Make sure you follow these steps. Learning how to take accurate at-home measurements can help your doctor diagnose or treat high blood pressure, a common condition that can harm the heart, the kidneys, the brain. How to stop heart attacks and irregular heartbeats in their tracks. Yeah. Must be simple. Man, noise level in the background is getting crazy. More junk on COVID. COVID reveals the cover-up, how a medical deep state operates. It's not paranoia. It's a reasonable conclusion based on Yogi Berra's sage advice when he said, you can observe a lot by just watching. The 
Iraq war veteran in his late 30s claimed that COVID vaccine gave him the condition that causes full body paralysis. Articles on the front page dealing with silent heart attacks. Warning signs. Most people put it down just to flat tiredness. Did I do that piece a couple times? No, I'm just back and forth too much. We got signs and symptoms of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, something we called we covered several weeks ago because I'm convinced that I have that issue. I will go through this bruising, something that I don't ever feel that I touched, never banged an arm into anything, nothing, and all of a sudden I'm bruised like I've gotten into a fight with Rocky Balboa. You begin to understand the importance of all this kind of stuff. How how do we deal with doctors and physicians that don't want to listen? Well, I'll be right back. I'm going to send the uh, uh, the nurse in or the, the 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 PA, the physician's assistant, in to you know to change your 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 catheter out, to, to give you a vaccination. They'll check your temperature and your weight and all this junk because I got to get on down the down the next room to see the other patient. You know, my, my, my second urologist, the one that did the surgery that caused all the grief, was a real strange burden. I remember the first appointment I had him. Oh, he came in, introduced himself, spent time in and out of the office, had somebody else doing whatever they were doing. And every time I'd have to go in there to see this guy, he'd just walk by me and wave. Hi, Mr. Bennett. How you doing? I was seeing his nurses and PAs every time I go in there, but never the doctor again. Hmm. Yeah. I think part of the problems we face, my friends, is it's it's the direction of this nation. People are afraid to speak up, to ask the right and proper questions. All of these things are becoming so damn difficult. We don't want to get into altercations with people who disagree with us. So what do you want? You're the patient. What the hell could you possibly know? There's things I know, doctor, because I live with myself. I feel it. I know exactly what's taking place. For me to go to my doctor, as I did a month ago, to discuss two particular issues that I've been having. My doctor's come to know me very well. I'm not his average patient. I do research. I do studies. I do reading. Sometimes I publish the information on the websites. Other times I go to discuss these issues with my doctor. I may have told you at the beginning of the program I had an appointment at 10 o'clock yesterday morning. I was there 9.40, waited 10 minutes. The nurse called me in early, 10 minutes early. Doctor got in to see me just a few minutes after 10, and we sat there for close to 40 minutes. 
going through my bucket list, the things that were concerning me, the things I had to question him about. And he appreciates that. Because I know he knows I don't do things in a secondhand manner. I try to acquire enough knowledge not to be a doctor, not to be a physician, but so that I can have an intelligent question and answer session with my doctor. After all, it's my freaking body, my damn life. He's pretty cool with that. How do you do the same thing? You have to. You can't just take their word. I don't give a damn if they got a license or not. I've seen far too many medical professionals that don't get it. I got the education. I got the degree. I've got the answers. Yeah, you got the answers all right. Because Big Pharma paid you to know their answers. Not necessarily truth. Not necessarily real reality. I'm not saying every doctor out there is a bad person. I know some damn good ones. When my original thyroid doctor terminated my relationship after several years of our doctor-patient relationship, partially because my wife and I had moved to the west end of the valley, whereas his office was in the east valley, but it was still never a problem. I was always able to get there in time for my appointments, etc., etc. I remember the morning I had an appointment with this doctor, first appointment of the day and I got there early and then these two drop dead gorgeous hot babes showed up that obviously weren't coming there to be patients they were pitching drugs they were farmer representatives but it all became more complex because I began to question him about certain things and he didn't like that so he sent me a registered letter terminating me as his patient. Terminating himself as a doctor. Interesting. Very interesting. So, I had to find a new doctor. And I got assigned to this Dr. Kennett guy. And I'm set up, I call up, make an appointment, and go in there, but I'm not getting Dr. Kennett. Oh, no, he's a senior physician in this practice. They sent me into a room, told me to sit and wait. The doctor began to see me in a few minutes. Female doctor comes in. Well, good morning, Mr. Bennett. Glad to meet you. Well, we're running out of time, but I've got to close. Just bear back the music off just a hair because I've got to close with this. Self-responsibility, my friends, must be the key to our health. 
spiritual, financial, and physical. And knowledge is the key to our success. So with glass lifted on high, I say to health with you, my friends. Good night. We'll see you tomorrow. the shore and orchestras play and even the palms seem to be swaying when they begin is my heart and there we are swearing to love forever and promising never never to part what moments divine what rapture serene till clouds came along to disperse the joys we had tasted and now when i hear people curse the chance that was wasted i know but too well what they mean so don't hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs. For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. 
hemppaste.com slash rbn. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash rbn. You're listening to Real Talk Radio, only on the Republic Broadcasting Network. 